Hello, and welcome to Truth Plus Grace. This is Chapter 1, Life is Tough. My name is Tiffany Grayson, and I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things which you have not known. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? In today's world, I sure would like to know more about those hidden or unknown things, wouldn't you? I know everyone's story is so different, but here's the thing. No matter how long you've been a follower of Christ, whether it's been just a few minutes or many, many years, God is faithful and he will continue to reveal things to you. He will continue to guide you, to teach you. He will continue to show you his way and his secrets. But here's the catch. We have to concede our own way and we have to follow him. As I think back through my life, I feel like there was one consistent method of growing and learning. I'm sure you've heard of it too, but the theory of, quote, practice makes perfect. And the more you practice, the better you get. Well, those theories often imply that you can, at some point, master the task at hand if you only work hard enough. Well, the older I get, the more I realize that such a mindset is not applicable to everything in my life. And sure, That method works great for solving math problems, learning to cook, progression in sports, as well as many other things. But to use that theory in my spiritual life, well, that would assume that at some point I should become a spiritual expert and achieve overall spiritual greatness. Mm -hmm. Spiritual greatness. Yep, that is what I want, don't you? I want to always feel close to God. I want to always know the right Bible verse or passage to reference in any situation. I want to pray continuously and fervently and with eloquence. I want to lead all of the lost souls to Christ. I want to share my testimony with everyone I encounter, and I want to be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. I want to let go of my brokenness forever. I want to cast aside all of my worry and all of my anxiety. I want to trust in God in all things. I want to forgive all my enemies, encourage harmony among all of my family and my friends, and I really would like to be the best spouse ever. Let's face it, I don't just want spiritual greatness, I want spiritual perfection. But let me tell you this, friends, and if you're following along with notes, we do have some fill in the blanks and your first one's coming up. Spiritual perfection, my friend, is a myth. Your spiritual life, and spiritual life is your first fill in the blank, your spiritual life and your relationship with God will always be a work in progress. I'm going to say it again because I want you to remember it. Your spiritual life and your relationship with God will always be a work in progress. What I have discovered is that the more I study God's word, the more I realize I have so much more to learn. The more I pray and I talk to God, the more I realize just how much I crave that personal time with him. The more time I spend with him, the more I realize that I need to spend more time with him. And that, friend, is what God wants to. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to spend time with him. And through that time, he wants to reveal all of the things, those unknown things I mentioned. He wants to reveal all of the things to us. We just have to commit the time our hearts, and our minds to him. We have to surrender to him. Hmm. Surrendering is a pretty hard concept for some people, myself included. It means relinquishing control of what we think we have and relying completely on someone else. In this case, it means we have to rely on or trust completely in God. Isaiah thirty twenty one 
says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk it. That's God's promise to us if we just listen. But let's face it, friends, we're not going to get it right. Definitely not all the time. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to tumble off the wagon. We're going to slide down the wrong slope. We're going to even turn in the wrong direction. But that is okay. To get back on track, and that's what we're doing today. We're going to get on track. We only need to call out to God and to put our trust in Him. Hear me tell you, friend, He loves you. He hears you. He wants to help. We just have to find a way to break through all the chaos of today's life to hear what he has to share with us. So as we move through this study, we're going to discuss many of life's toughest issues, including anxiety and depression, sickness, infertility, marital issues, family dynamics, loss, even spiritual stagnancy. And my hope is that as we delve into these topics, that we'll gain new insight through God's word. We'll be reflecting on a few Bible stories and characters that directly relate to our issues. I think, friend, you'll be surprised at how many, quote, old and outdated stories, how they suddenly seem so relevant to what we're facing in today's world. In this chapter, and here comes your next fill in the blank, I want to take a trip back in time to the New Testament. New Testament is your fill in the blank. And we're going to spend some time with Jesus' most faithful followers his disciples. His disciples is your fill in the blank. And as you might already know, the disciples all had varying background and skills. However, they were all Jewish and Jewish is your next fill in the blank. They were all Jewish and they were all considered ordinary. They were ordinary, uneducated, and simple. They were considered ordinary, uneducated, and simple. Yet they gave up everything. This is an important one. It's a fill in the blank. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. And they did so for three years of first-hand ministry training. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, most of them continued in ministry. Ministries are fill in the blank. They continued in ministry, starting churches and converting various people groups into Christianity. I think it's amazing. Scholars believe that as many as seven, and that's your fill in the blank, as many as seven of the 12 disciples were actually fishermen by trade. You've likely heard the famous quote, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, as noted in Matthew 4.19. And that's when Jesus recruited Peter and Andrew to leave their family fishing business and to follow him. Let's talk about what that might have looked like for a minute. I've got a little background information for you. The Sea of Galilee, and that's your fill in the blank, Sea of Galilee, is the world's largest and lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's the largest and lowest freshwater lake in the world. Lake, yes, yes, I said lake on purpose. It's actually a lake, even though tradition dubbed it the Sea of Galilee long, long ago. Its surface, and here's more information for you, um, is approximately 680 feet below sea level. So it's quite low, 680 feet below sea level. It's quite large, running roughly 13 miles long, 13 miles long and eight miles wide. And it's at its deepest point, it is approximately 150 feet deep. That's, that's a pretty big lake. It's connected actually, and I've included a map for you so you can kind of see what we're talking about here, but it's connected to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea would be on the very it's not on the map itself. It'd be south of the map. It, uh, the Dead Sea is also a lake and is the second lowest lake in the world, but it's a saltwater lake. So you have a freshwater lake, the Sea of Galilee, connected to a saltwater lake, the Dead Sea, via the Jordan River. Really interesting. 
Now, if you were to look out at the Sea of Galilee, you would imagine that the water is cool and clear, and it's actually completely surrounded by rocky beaches. And because of the majestic mountains just to the north, again, you can reference the map, the wind gusts would often create choppy waves with little to no notice. That wind would just come around those mountains and create choppy waves with little to no notice. As a side note, in scripture, you may have heard of the Sea of Galilee, also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias, Lake Genesaret, or even Chenereth. So it's noted by several different names, but all the same thing, the Sea of Galilee. Now back to the fishermen. As for the fishermen themselves, the Greek word for fishermen, and that's a fill in the blank, the Greek word for fishermen actually translates as men of the sea, men of the sea, inferring that the person noted made their living on or near the water. Yes, the water. And they may have been fishermen or sailors, but they also could have been the modern day equivalent of a dock worker. True fishermen, though, ooh, they were hard workers. And their strenuous work and the long hours quickly eliminated any weaklings that tried out in the group, for sure. They were often known as crude-mannered, rough-spoken, fearless, and weathered. Yet they were also masters in patience and perseverance. They had a job to do, and they kept working at it until they got it done. To give you an idea of what life as a fisherman may have been like, and here comes your next fill in the blank, as many as six to ten, six to ten men would work on a single wooden boat. So one boat, six to ten men, and they would maneuver the boat by using the wooden oars. Wooden oars is a fill in the blank. They would use the wooden oars that were mounted on both sides of the craft. To give you a visual image, these boats were about the size of an average delivery or box truck. So the boats, in terms of size, think of that UPS, FedEx truck that shows up in front of my house delivering my Amazon orders. Yes, it's about the size of one of those trucks, approximately 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide. 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and boasted of a large mast with a linen sail, a sail made of linen cloth. Now, many boats had a cabin under their deck for supplies and shelter because they often carried a lot of gear. They would have to have rope and a stone anchor and dry clothes, because this is wet business here out in the, on the lake, food. They would want to have food with them and whatever tools they'd need and torches. And we'll figure out why in a minute. But I've included a picture so you can kind of get an idea of just the general simplicity of the craft itself that they would be working on. Now, the most important resource, and here's your next fill in the blank, aside from the men working on it, the most important resource was the net. The net. Fishing nets were expensive, and they required hard work. Hard work is a fill in the blank. They required hard work to maintain. Washing, mending, and drying the nets were required chores at the end of any fishing trip, and these chores often took up much of the day to complete. So they would have to wash them, mend them, and dry them. Now, you might be surprised to learn that most of the actual fishing, and here's your next fill in the blank, took place during the night. Well, that explains the torches, doesn't it? Most of the actual fishing took place during the night. The nets that they used were constructed of uh, linen strips of cloth. So the linen cloth strips woven together would make the nets. Now, linen cloth is light in color. So it was very visible in the clear water during the day. At night the nets were less visible, so the fish couldn't see them as well, couldn't see to avoid them, so it was a more profitable time to be out fishing. 
Now, there were several methods of fishing used in those days, but just to give you an idea, perhaps it's easiest to imagine our famed fishermen out on the lake with their nets hoisted between two or more boats. So think about two or more boats out on the lake, and they would have a net. The net used would have been huge, probably uh, at least 100 or more feet by 20 or more feet, a big net. And they would drop it as far as they could into the water from the boats. Now, on one edge of the net, they would have wood or cork that they would use to keep that edge of the net floating on the surface of the water. And then on the other edge of the net, they would have stone sinkers attached so that it would pull the net to the bottom of the lake. So at that point, then the fishermen would work with the, the floating edge to either wrap the net in itself in a circular fashion, trying to trap the fish or working to pull the net ashore, dragging and heaving this heavy net, this giant heavy net, whether on boats or even on foot along the shoreline, they would pull the fish to the shore. And at the shore, then they would sort it and clean the fish and sell their bounty all before cleaning, mending, drying their nets and preparing for their next trip. And this was hard, hard labor, hard work a full day's, full night and day's work. Um, and you can imagine, though, just how hard that would be. Now, there were varying methods of fishing, some even more strenuous than the one I just shared with you, but this, my friends, is just a glimpse into the life of what a fisherman did. And you can imagine there were many factors, factors is your next fill in the blank, that could affect the success of your fishing trip. I mean, if you were out there fishing, there could be a lot of fishermen out on the water, for instance, or... Um, the weather could be a factor or the water current, but these fishermen, they had to be prepared. They had to be prepared, prepared, be prepared is your next fill in the blank. They had to be prepared to deal with anything that was thrown at them. This was their livelihood. This is what they did to make a living. So for instance, is it crowded on the water and there's not enough space to throw your net? They had to problem solve. No problem. They might say, just use a different net, a different method of fishing, or just wait your turn. Or if the water current changed while they were mid-drag and they suddenly had no fish in their net, no problem. They'd have to use a different method of fishing, perhaps, or pick a different location. Or oftentimes, just start over. If the weather shifted, and then a torrential downpour is engulfing the boat, and the crew is soaked and can't see through the rain, they had to be problem solvers. They had to work through it. No problem. Wait it out. Try again later. Maybe we can find a new place to fish. They would figure it out. Problem solvers, prepared to deal with anything. And that is who Jesus recruited to follow him in ministry. That's a fill in the blank. That is who Jesus recruited to follow him in ministry. They might have been commoners. They may have been uneducated, but they were loyal and hardworking. They were loyal and hardworking. That's a fill in the blank. They could take a punch and keep going. They were seasoned at working long hours day or night. They were seasoned at working long hours, day or night. They were fierce, fearless, and focused. Fierce, fearless, and focused. Difficult and stressful situations, well, that's part of the job. And that is a fill in the blank. Difficult and stressful situations were part of the job. That's who Jesus recruited to follow him. Those were his disciples. So let me ask you this, friend. Do you think that these guys ever got stressed or anxious even while following Jesus. I mean, after all, they were the disciples, the original followers of Jesus, hand-plucked, hand-picked, 
They were the ones who regularly witnessed Jesus performing unexplainable miracles. They listened as Jesus predicted the future. They followed Jesus everywhere, blindly, willingly, hopefully, hopefully, I would say even expectantly. Yet, even the disciples, friend, were plagued by anxiety from time to time. They dealt with stress and worry. If I look up the word anxiety, and that's your fill in the blank, the word anxiety, I find that it is a noun and it is defined as this. And I've put these notes in your notes so that you would have them. Anxiety, anxiety is defined as an apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated event. Yep, that sounds right. Okay. Also, anxiety is defined as an abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear often marked by physical signs such as tension, sweating, and increased pulse rate. And this would be concerning the reality and nature of a threat and self-doubt about one's capacity to cope with it. Hmm. Anybody dealt with that? I think in today's world, we're dealing with the pandemic, kids school at home, kids going off to school, whether or not we can get back to work, if we can afford to pay the bills because work is slow, business is closing, trying to get um, health care when you need it, someone's sick. So many different things. Relationship issues. We've all been in the same house together for so long. There's so much that we can't necessarily control that we get worried about and anxiety over. And we often worry about the reality and the nature of the threat, but also how are we going to deal with it? How am I going to help my family deal with it? Anxiety is real. We're all facing it today. So friend, hear this. And this is a fill in the blank. From time to time, even the disciples were plagued with doubt and the overwhelming feeling of being unable to handle the circumstances that they were facing. Even the disciples were plagued with doubt and the overwhelming feeling of being unable to handle the circumstance they were facing. They'd seen Jesus in the most amazing positions and places doing the most amazing things. And even they had doubt. So let's let's look at one instance in particular. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, it's in the New Testament. And as a side note, I'll be primarily reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. You're welcome to follow along with me in your own Bible, or you can just sit back and listen as I read to you. <clears throat> for this, we'll be begin reading in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 35 and 36. Mark 4, 35 and 36. And God's Word says, And on that day... When evening had come, he, capital H, so that's Jesus, said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. Okay, friends, let's talk about what's happening in this passage. Jesus had been in Capernaum with his disciples. He had been performing miracles and sharing and teaching to large masses of people. Wherever Jesus went, People would gather in huge groups, just hoping to catch a glimpse of him. They called him teacher and rabbi, prophet and miracle worker. And he was all those things and more. They would reach for him. They would yell to him. They would beg him to help. They just wanted to be near him. And the disciples, well, they followed along protectively, listening and learning and doing what they could do to help. Now, on this particular day, Jesus has been teaching parables to a large crowd. He was physically tired and he needed rest. So in order to escape the crowd, he told his disciples that he wanted to get in a boat 
and travel to the other side of the lake, to a less populated area. Let's face it, friend, he needed some peace and quiet, and he needed some time to rest and reflect. And the only way he was going to get that was to get out on the water and away from the crowds. So let's see what happened. We're going to continue reading in Mark chapter 4, verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Goodness, that's quite the storm. As I mentioned previously, it was not completely uncommon for storms to appear suddenly, especially as the winds shifted around the mountains and through the valley. But the fishermen, they would have been used to that happening from time to time. They would have been seasoned at dealing with this type of situation. But the Greek translation of this event, and this is a fill-in-the-blank for you, friend, the Greek translation of this event also implies a whirlwind type of wind, a whirlwind type of wind, meaning that it may have resembled the winds and waves of a hurricane on the lake that day. That's some storm. Now, if you think about the, the Gospels, you can often compare certain stories from one gospel to the next. So they're just written by different authors, have different um, perspectives of the same account. And we can find that with this story through a couple of the gospels. One is in Matthew. And Matthew 8.24 records this event saying, And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. And I, I just want to point out, friends, as a side note, the word behold whenever you read that in scripture, is used to draw attention to the fact that something abrupt is happening, something amazing is happening, and it's a term that the author will use when they want you to pay special attention. So in this case, they're saying, behold, an abrupt change is happening to their circumstance, and this time it's as it relates to the weather. So behold, there arose a great storm. The weather shifted instantaneously on them. Now Luke who wasn't there that day, but heard about it later from one of the disciples, he describes the event in Luke 8, verse 23. And he says, But as they were sailing along, a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Okay, wow. Okay, so this is a big storm. And I put both of those reference verses in your notes so that you would have them. But this was a big storm. All the parties involved agreed, would agree that they felt as if they were in imminent danger. I mean, if you picture it, they're probably starting to get the heart palpitations and they're breaking into the cold sweat. It appears as if they weren't sure that they were going to be able to handle the situation at hand. Things were feeling like they're spinning out of control. I mean, picture for a moment, friend. You're in the boat, on the water, the water's sloshing over the sides. All right, sloshing over the sides. The storm is so big, the water's sloshing into the boat. It's filling the boat faster than they could use buckets to throw it back out. And because of those big waves, they could not get all the oars into the water at the same time. And the boat's rocking side to side. The waves are crashing in. The oars would not be able to reach on both sides in order to turn the boat in any direction. And then you think, wait, was that just the sound of the mast cracking? Did the wind just tear the sail into shreds? And I wonder... What about the, quote, other boats that were, quote, with him, as noted in Mark 36? Were there other boats there as well? Were, there, were they traveling in multiple boats? And were those boats ramming into each other? Were they on a collision course? Surely colliding with another boat in this type of storm would destroy their vessels and send them all flying in the tumultuous waters. I've included a picture, friend, of what this may have been like. I don't think this paints the full 
full picture of what it really would have been like, but it gives you an idea of just the men on the boat and trying to battle those waves and the distress you would feel from being out of control. The disciples, like, they couldn't figure out what to do next. They felt like they were out of options. To say they were anxious, well, that would be an understatement. And these, my friends, are the hardy, weathered, experienced, dependable fishermen that regularly contend with winds and storms and boats for a living. This is not a new experience for them, but this one particular experience felt different. So let's see what happened. We're going to read together in the next verse, Mark 4, 38. And he himself, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, friend, Jesus was so exhausted from a full day of teaching and healing that even a storm of this magnitude would not wake him up. He was so tired that the violent tossing of the boat seemed to only rock him further to sleep. But those poor disciples, their anxiety was reaching a new level of panic. These seasoned fishermen were afraid for their lives. In my mind, as the boat violently rocked back and forth, back and forth, several of the men were trying to make their ways to the back of the boat, to the stern where Jesus was lying on the pile of cushions. And in my mind, Jesus was so exhausted that his sleep appeared peaceful and fully relaxed. It was a worry-free sleep. His arms and his legs were lolling limply as the boat was being thrown from side to side. And as the disciples stumbled over each other, frantically trying to reach Jesus, crying out over the winds, Teacher, teacher! Teacher, teacher! Their request was simple. Save us, Jesus. And that's a fill in the blank. Friend, I want you to remember, their request, their request was simple. Save us, Jesus. It's a dark moment in their lives. A moment where they realize that no matter how big, how strong, how capable, how experienced, how controlled, how brave, how brave they could be, they could do nothing to control their situation. They had to relinquish control. They called out frantically, Teacher, teacher, save us. Don't let us die. And verse 39 says, And being aroused or awakened, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, friend, but whenever I've been in a big storm and try to imagine right now the biggest storm you've ever been in, the biggest wind, rain, thunder, lightning, the biggest storm you've ever been in, And some of them can be so scary. I'm thankful to remember that the storm always ends. But think about it. It ends gradually, right? It ends gradually. There's no blink, and then the storm is gone. There's no snap, and then we're back to calm and clear. It just doesn't happen that way. But this storm, and here comes a fill in the blank. This storm, friend, it ceased immediately and completely. 
This storm ceased immediately and completely. The giant waves disappeared instantaneously. The water was calm. The wind was no more. And that, my friend, is the power of Jesus. That is the power of Jesus. I put it in your notes because I want you to remember that is the power of Jesus. Even in the darkest moments of your life, during the biggest storms you'll ever encounter, he has the power to bring you through it immediately and completely. Jesus has the power to bring us through it immediately and completely. Jesus spoke and the water and the wind obeyed. Can you even imagine that for a moment, friends? In the, in the frenzy, we'll call it a frenzy of the storm, anxious and scared, and you suddenly hear the whisper of Jesus, be still. That's what I cling to, that quiet whisper, that quiet moment. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I put it in your notes. I want you to remember it. Be still and know that I am God. And in that quiet whisper, even the winds and the water obey. That's your fill in the blank. Even the winds and the water obey. Let that sink in for a minute, friend. Even the winds and the water obey the quiet whisper of our Savior. Let's see what happened next. We'll continue reading in Mark chapter 4, verse 40 and 41. And Jesus said to them, them being the disciples, of course, Why are you so timid or afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Wow. The truth is, we're often faced with situations that cause us to become anxious or stressed or even frozen with fear. We've all been there, haven't we, friends, even even recently? And I do not have a magic wand or a special algorithm to help you overcome those feelings. But I do have a reality check for you. And here it is, and it's a fill-in-the-blank for you so you can remember it. Here's your reality check. Even the men who worked side-by-side side with Jesus, friends, I'm talking every single day for three years, walk side-by-side, even the men who worked side by side with Jesus, who walked with him, were there every single day. Even the men, even those men, experienced, experienced as your fill in the blank, experienced moments of fear, anxiety, and a lack of faith. Even they experienced moments of fear, anxiety, and a lack of faith. Their experience in similar situations did not protect them from the human response of fear and anxiety. Their experience in similar situations did not protect them from the human response of fear and anxiety. They had witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle, live and in person. Yet even they were surprised when the storm ceased just by the sound of Jesus' voice. So let me ask you this, friend. Why do we think that we, at some point, will no longer need God's help or salvation as we encounter life's various challenges, what makes us think that we, at some point we're going to graduate and not need his help? Even the disciples needed saving that day. All they did was call out to Jesus. And Jesus saved them. And he'll do the same for us too. As we close out this chapter, I want to give you a couple of ideas on how to combat anxiety as you face it. Now, I've 
put this in your notes so that you can make some notes of your own. Um, fill it in as you as you feel like it speaks to you. And let me give you this disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I am not a therapist. I'm not an expert. But I do have some experience in dealing with anxiety myself. And so I want to share with you some solutions that have worked for me. First of all, pray. Right? First of all, pray. Prayer is the best remedy to an anxious moment. Your prayers don't have to be fancy, friends. Just full of honest thoughts and feelings. In that moment, ask God to calm your heart and give you a clear sense of direction. And I've put a Bible verse here for you. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. I love that. I cling to that. In those moments of anxiety, imagine God holding on to you with his righteous right hand and speak to him, pray to him, ask him for help. Secondly, instead of focusing on fear, focus on God's truth. Focus on God's truth. Quote scripture. Quoting scripture is a great way of taking your mind off the trouble at hand and putting your focus back on God, the one who can change things, right? The one who can save you. So focus on God's truth. Quote scripture. Um, You can certainly choose to memorize a passage or a favorite verse or two that when times are tough and you're really feeling anxious, overwhelmed, and stressed, that there's a verse that just comes to mind that helps you remember that God's got you, friend. And one of my favorites is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for hope and a future. I love that verse. I quote it all the time when I get in those moments. Thirdly, and you're going to think I'm a little silly for this one, I think, but sing praise songs. Sing. Sing praises. Now, I often tell my friends, especially those with little ones, that when you reach that point of exasperation or desperation or just overwhelming stress, just start singing, Jesus loves me. It is amazing how quickly your perspective can change just by singing such a sweet song. Another favorite, Amazing Grace. Any of your favorite hymns, songs, praise worship, anything, sing it. It's amazing how quickly, as you focus on those words, your perspective changes. Psalm 104, 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Fourth, make a decision on what you want to embrace and which thoughts to cast out of your mind. You have the ability to decide what you want to think about and what thoughts you need to cast out of your mind. Focus on the truth, friend. John 14, 27 says, Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus, that's Jesus talking. Get, he's giving you his peace. You get to decide what you're going to think about, what you're going to focus on. Focus on him. And fifth, reflect back. Reflect is the is the key. Reflecting back on a time when God has helped you in the past. Reflecting on a particular situation when you personally felt God working in your life. Well, that's the quickest way to remember, friend, you're not alone. We've all had those moments where we think, oh, we're 
trudging through the muck. And then when we look back, we can see God's hand in those moments. Think about those times or think about a time when you prayed and you felt God's presence with you. Or think about a time when you went through something really difficult and you were surrounded by friends and family who who prayed for you and lifted you up and helped carry you through that tough time. And you made it to the other side, friend. Look, you made it. You are not alone. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Friend, you're not alone. You're not alone. We're all in it together. We're all in this broken world together. We only have to remember to call out, to surrender control, to call out, put our minds on Jesus. He is here to save you. He is here now, holding your hand, lifting you up. Let's pray and thank him now. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this example of a stressful moment in time. And Lord, thank you for giving us clear direction on what we can do. Lord, Lord, help us to use those anxious moments to draw us closer to you. May it build our relationship up. May we work on it through prayer, through talking to you, through reading your word, through memorizing your word. Lord, we know that you are, you are here for us now. You are here for us always. You will not forsake us. Lord, help us to find that peace that surpasses all understanding by coming to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We lift your name high, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Friend, I hope that you know that you are not alone. And if you're listening to this podcast now and you would like to connect or even be added to my personal email distribution list, then you can email me at Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com. And you just spell out truthplusgrace.com. I'm not going to share your information with anyone. Just be um, so that we can stay in communication. Or if you're looking for daily encouragement through scripture, please consider following Truth Plus Grace on either Instagram or Facebook or both. I post daily Bible verses, just little pieces of inspiration. And um, that's easy enough for you to follow along that way. Um, also, a question for you, would you be interested in joining a Facebook closed group discussion or a closed group discussion on some other form of media with other members who are following along in this Bible study? If so, please email me again, Tiffany at truthplusgrace.com and let me know your thoughts. Certainly there's no definitive um, commitment there. We're just looking at options and how we can connect each other together and be a community together. But know that you are not alone. I am praying for you, and I can't wait to share with you again next week. Make this week a great week. I'm praying for you. 